Welcome, my friends. It's September 14th, 2021. My name is Chris, and you are tuned into Canadian Patriot Radio. And the craziness continues. We are in the depths of a Canadian election. And it would look like to me that the PPC is actually stealing seats from all the parties. A big bulk of them coming from the Conservatives, but we're going to cover that later in the show. But they are actually stealing them from everybody, so which is a good thing. But what we're going to do first is highlight um, something I'm sure that all the listeners of this show are well aware of. um, Just a comparison between years that seems to be pretty much... uh, going right against the narrative that we're seeing. Now, this first article comes to us by way of the National File, and the title reads... Oh, where'd the title go? CDC claims COVID is deadlier now in so-called fourth wave than it was when nobody was vaccinated during the second wave. This is by Andrew Wright, and it was written yesterday, September 13th. Data from the Center for Disease Control shows that the U.S. coronavirus death rates in the first 10 days of September 2021... Are nearly, twi- are nearly twice as high as they were during the first 10 days of September 2020, months before the first coronavirus vaccine received emergency use authorization by the Food and Drug Administration on December 11th. The fourth wave of the COVID-19 pandemic in the U.S. Oh, we just read that. I love how they give you two, two, uh, two headlines right in a row. It's one of these articles that has a lot of like pop-ups and stuff, so it's uh, kind of throwing me all around, but we'll bear through it here. From September 1st to September 10th of 2020, U.S. COVID-19 daily deaths never exceeded 960, according to the CDC data. From September 1st to September 10th, 2021, the daily death rates are as high as 1,860. The U.S. uh, Food and Drug Administration issued uh, the first emergency use authorization for the first COVID-19 vaccine on December 11th, 2020. And around 179 million Americans have been reportedly fully vaccinated since then. While the Biden administration and international health authorities insist that the current outbreak of coronavirus is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, studies are indicating that that vaccinated people are dying from COVID at higher rates than unvaccinated, unvaccinated people as mainstream news outlets scramble to justify them. At first glance, this may seem alarming, but it's exactly as would be expected, reported the conversation. Uh, The report showed that 163 of the 257 people, 63.4%, who died of the Delta variant within 28 days of a positive COVID test between February 1st and June 21st, had received at least one dose of the vaccine. Just days ahead of Joe Biden's speech announcing a series of coronavirus vaccine mandates, the CDC quietly changed the definition of vaccine uh, of vaccine as vaccinated people continue to be infected with coronavirus. On August 26, 2021, the definition of vaccine on the CDC website was a product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease. The definition of uh, vaccination at that time was the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce immunity to a specific disease. As of September 7th, the new definition of vaccine on the CDC website was changed to a preparation that is used to stimulate the body's immune response against diseases. The new definition of vaccination describes 
the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce protein uh, protection from a specific disease. National File has also reported on a new Oxford study revealing that people who are fully vaccinated carry a staggering 251 times the normal viral load of COVID-19, with experts being concerned that vaccinated individuals may pose a risk to to those who have not received the COVID-19 vaccine. The vaccines seem to allow vaccinated individuals to carry unusually high viral loads without becoming sick transforming them into super spreaders who experience symptoms later on, contributing to breakthrough cases among fully vaccinated individuals. The study focused on healthcare workers who were unable to leave the hospital for two weeks. Uh, This is from Israel. The study, sorry. Um, The study showed that fully vaccinated workers about two months after injection carried and transmitted the virus to their vaccinated colleagues after infection. They also passed the virus to unvaccinated people, including their patients. The vaccine used in the study was the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. So there's a few takeaways from this that we really need to kind of drill down on. And uh, the fact that, um, you know, the, the key takeaway when it comes to comparing of the two years uh, would be the fact that you've got more, more cases now uh, than you did last year. Which would, you know, if this vaccine did anything at all, the cases cases should be dramatically less. Uh, I mean, this is just common sense. We don't need an MD or a doctorate to know that. If this vaccine was effective, especially the way they're touting it in the US and Canada and all over the free world, um, we would see less cases. Uh, That's not the case at all. And and the death rates, like uh, you heard heard the death rates, almost a thousand, you know, from uh, September 1st to September 10th, 2020, the daily death rates never exceeded exceeded 960, but then a comparison to this year, September 1st to September 10th, the daily death rates are as high as 1,860. So that's crazy. (laughs) That is absolutely crazy. And then the other uh, takeaway that we kind of got to refocus on is the report shows that 163 of the 257 people 63.4% who died of the Delta variant within 28 days of a positive COVID test between February 1st and June 21st had received at least one dose of the vaccine. Now that is out of the US and that directly coincides with what we're seeing out of the UK. And now here in Saskatchewan, um, the actual double vaccinated people are surpassing the unvaccinated people for deaths here. I'm not sure about the stats all over the rest of Canada. Canada is the most censored country. You guys notice that? Uh, it is, it's harder to get our statistics than it is uh, pretty much anywhere else in the world. Uh, they just, especially right now with this huge vaccine push that has kind of been backburnered uh, for the time being due to this actual election. <clears throat> but make, make no mistake, if, if, even if it's a minority government, let's say the Conservatives or the Liberals, uh, either one, if they get a minority government, the minute that election is done, whoever's in power will push this. I guarantee it. Uh, we're going to see it. Uh, the vaccine mandates, that is. They will mimic exactly what um, fake President uh, Muffins down there in the, in the South just did um, <clears throat> by mandating it pretty much everywhere. Every every employer that has over 100 employees in the U.S. now has to mandate uh, vaccines, basically, according to... He's going to go try and go through their equivalent of our OH&S, which does... Up, up here, I can tell you that OH&S wouldn't have the power to do that. Uh, they, they, they can't... Uh, it's called OSHA. 
it's basically the exact same thing and i don't think they even have the uh the actual power in the u.s from what i'm hearing from uh, people south of the line they don't actually have the power to do something like that so it's interesting to see how it's going to be neat to see how this goes um you know there's really you know i i can see like the, how this is causing a lot of people to panic especially uh i guess it's been announced by walmart canada by by november 1st you have to be double vaccinated to get into walmart so yes it's going to get a little bit more difficult for us to do stuff but uh honestly my friends we we are um this these are still phase three trials and we are the control group um you know i'm kind of to mimic what um tracy beans was saying and that uh um geert vandenbosch are saying if if we completely do away with an unvaccinated control group then then there is absolutely no liability or anything to raise the alarm whatsoever so the so the longer we hold out which i don't think is going to be very long and you're going to start seeing the the effects of these vaccines so much so that it'll be uh they just can't ignore it right they can't pretend it's something else um the more the more they're you know the narrative is going to fall apart it already is it it already is if it wasn't for the mainstream media completely running cover for this um the narrative would have completely cratered already uh, they're just flat out lying at this point. At least they are in Saskatchewan. I, and I know they probably are in the rest of Canada as well. Anyway, my friends, let's get the show started. We'll be right back.
welcome back, my friends. Um, <clears throat> we're going to stay on point here with the uh, with the COVID talk right now, and uh, we're going to just kind of drill down on exactly what Canada is kind of planning for us. Um, I know a lot of you have probably watched Joe Biden's announcement or heard what the U.S. is doing. It's kind of the same thing here, even with even with this election going on. Um, we're going to turn this over to the CBC. Um, so keep in mind, this will probably be an extremely skewed article. We'll see how this goes. I have proofread most of it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, this is kind of to be what's expected and what's coming in the next few few months, I guess. Uh, so I guess prepare in a way and, and we'll we'll try and work through it together and, and figure out, you know, there's going to be alternatives. They just can't completely lock you out of society. Maybe they can. I don't know. <laughs> but we all we can do at this point is deal with what they're throwing at us as they throw it at us. So we'll just, uh, you know, kind of, kind of prepare for what we're being told right now. Uh, the title of this article is Navigating a COVID-19 Vaxport. Uh, COVID-19 Vaccine Passport Society won't be easy for those who remain unvaccinated. Uh, those without a vaccine, for whatever reason, could feel ostracized, experts say. Uh, this is by Priscilla Ki-Sun Wang, uh, and it was posted yesterday, September 13th, 2021. When Nathan Maharaj volunteered to be part of a human vaccine trial, he didn't think he'd be shut out of Ontario's restaurants, gyms, and even weddings a few months later. Maharaj has been fully vaccinated with Quebec-based Medicago trial vaccine since April. But he's one Ontarian who, for various reasons, didn't get vaccinated with COVID-19 vaccines approved by the World Health Organization, a requirement for people to obtain a passport granting access to non-essential services starting September 22nd in the province. My understanding is that I won't get a passport, says Maharaj, who lives in Toronto, it's not clear what I can do about it. I can't go sign up for Pfizer or Moderna or Moderna or what have you. But that would be but that would be an experiment of its own kind. It feels a little lonely out here. Meanwhile, John, a City of Ottawa employee whom CBC News agreed not to identify because of his fear of backlash, is holding off on getting his second jab after what he describes as a severe neurological com- complications following a Pfizer shot on April 28th. He said he suffered for months from inflammation of the spinal cord, severe brain fog, intense migraines, muscle twitches, and chest pains, among other symptoms. It scares me that I don't know what will happen if I go and get a second mRNA shot, John said. Holy cow. You know, if, if you experience that, I would be completely out. And there's a lot of people that are. I know, I know personally a handful of people that got the first shot and are basically saying, nope, <laughs> never again. So, I mean, we got a lot of those people too that have, are basically now being lumped into uh, this unvaccinated title, um, which is extremely unfortunate because, I mean, these people, um, you know, were doing what they thought was best and they're they're basically going to get shit on uh, by Canadian society as well as the rest of us. Um, after he explained the situation to Ottawa Public Health, it recommended he get the second shot anyway. He said he wants the, uh, the Novavax vaccine instead, which is not yet authorized in Canada. John's employer also gave him an ultimatum. Be fully vaccinated by November 1st or lose his job. John says his mental health is suffering and he's anxious about what bigger toll a vaccine passport society will take on him and his family's well-being. I feel left behind. There's absolutely nothing out there and my doctor won't even discuss it with me anymore, he said. 
It's like we're being uh, brushed aside. People who have had side effects from the vaccine. Oh, man. The, the normalization. Pay attention to just the normalization that the CBC is really, like, lining this uh, this article with. Like, this isn't normal. And this is this goes against the charter. Like, um, it's, it's unbelievable, the charter violations of this, uh, as you guys are fully aware. Unvaccinated won't enjoy being shut out. <laughs> you don't say. There are millions of Canadians who haven't been vaccinated against COVID-19 for a number of reasons, including medical issues, allergies that lack and lack of access. But among the unvaccinated are those who simply oppo- oppose to vaccines, known as anti-vaxxers, and those who say that mandatory vaccination violates their freedom. It does. Stephen Jordans, a uh, psycho- uh, psychology professor at University of Toronto Scarborough's campus, said the unvaccinated, particularly those who are part of the anti-vaxxer community, may have seen their social networks may have seen their social networks significantly pruned. They will also feel ostracized, and that the massive proportion of the population do not understand them. He said, "It's going to be a difficult place to be." As the vaccine passport system begins in many provinces, Jordan says the unvaccinated will crave amenities and activities they once accessed freely and and feel inconvenienced. (laughs) Holy, the the staggering, like, just acceptance of fascism in this article is blowing me away. They will not enjoy being second-class citizens being shut out, he said. My bet is they will quietly get vaccinated. Holy. So now we're just openly. This is a professor. This guy's a professor. A psychology professor at the University of Toronto Scarborough campus. Fully admitting that he is on board with segregation. He has no problem with it. They will not enjoy being second class citizens being shut out, he said. My bet is they will quietly get vaccinated. This is a a psychology professor that doesn't understand when you have someone that has actually firmly planted their feet into their ground on a topic, he doesn't understand that pushing them harder will not get them to fucking do it. This is a psychology professor. This is what I mean sometimes, my friends. Sorry, I'm going to just step out of this article for a minute. Sometimes it it really appears that our, our supposedly highly educated people are are incredibly stupid now this guy is a site like he should know that (laughs) there's a big portion of the population that if they are absolutely convinced and have firm beliefs in a specific topic it doesn't have to be vaccines and you try to push them harder to get them to see it your way they're going to resist you even harder Uh, it's just staggering to me that this 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 guy can even say this in an article i'm going to just come out and say that this guy is a fucking idiot Let's carry on with this dummy. And for the rest of us, for our part, we will have we will we have to be thankful for every one of them that makes that decision. We have to resist gloating. <laughs> Holy fuck. However, he said, those that aren't vaccinated will have to view the vaccine passport system as an extended lockdown. Life isn't fair to some extent. The rules that you have to live by might have to change a little bit. So if some, of us, if some of these people have to live under lockdown rules a little longer than the rest of us, that sucks. Mm-hmm. He's, he's completely oblivious to the fact that this is never going to end, my friends. Completely oblivious. Right, just marching along with the globalists, another useful idiot, 
completely oblivious that he would be the first one in the firing line <laughs> once they get complete and utter control. Cost-benefit analysis helpful in decision. Laura Scrimgore, a behavioral scientist at Gatineau, Quebec, and co-founder of Strategic Bias, which consults for the government on environmental and health issues, says for someone who's undecided about vaccination, it might be beneficial for them to do a cost-benefit analysis based on a reliable on reliable sources data. Cost-benefit? Uh, basically what we are doing, people that are unvaccinated with the mRNA vaccines, is we have access to the adverse effects. We are seeing firsthand accounts from people that got the shot. We are seeing their problems that they have, and it has nothing to do with a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, the For us, the benefits do not outweigh the risks. And now you can, uh, you can lump a whole bunch of people that have had one and two vaccines into that line of thinking with us because they, there's a ton of people that regret getting it. A cost-benefit analysis based on reliable sources data. I hope they would come out on the side of the vaccine, but it's for each individual to decide what's right for them, she said. Scrimgeour politi said political leaders should also consider allowing a wide range of medical exemptions. There are always going to be people who can't comply, and to restrict the freedoms of those people is really problematic. Well, there you go. At least she's got a little bit of a head on her shoulders. She said it would be left to the unvaccinated to figure out how to manage and navigate the passport system. I think as a society, we're going to have to find a way out of this, she said. I certainly wouldn't put all the unvax put it all on the unvaccinated. That's like asking people with disabilities to figure out all the accommodations that everyone else needs to make. <clears throat> so a little bit of an opposing view there. At least she's she's kind of got a grasp on it. But that first psychologist, what a what an idiot. <laughs> Oh, just completely down with uh, social segregation. Doesn't see a problem in it at all. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Actually, you know what we're going to do is we're going to turn it over to OAN because they had a great piece um, that's about six minutes long that answered, uh, you know, kind of did a retort to that article that we just read that uh, I think you guys will like. And a new study involving tens of thousands of patients reveals fully vaccinated people are 27 times more likely to end up with COVID, COVID symptoms, than those who have never had a vaccine. Here's one America's Pearson Sharp. There's a great debate raging in America right now whether or not we need to get the vaccine. And surprisingly, the medical establishment is bucking science that's been settled on for nearly a century now by claiming that vaccines are a better solution to the China virus than your own body's natural defense system. So, what's the truth? We've been in this pandemic for a year and a half now. What do the numbers say? Well, unsurprisingly, the numbers back up what we've known all along, or at least what most of us have known, that our bodies are far better at fighting this virus and many others than the vaccine is. Before we get started, we wanna be clear, OAN is not taking an anti-vax position. Vaccines have been proven to be tremendously helpful and have saved countless millions of lives since their inception. The point is they aren't perfect and they're not all created equal. Effective vaccines typically take the better part of a decade to get right, not the better part of six months. 
which is why we're seeing the huge number of problems with this vaccine against the China virus in particular. And now scientists in Israel, a country with more experience with this virus than pretty much anywhere in the world, have found that humans' natural immune protection against COVID is not only much better than expected, it's far and away more powerful than any of the vaccines we're using today. The study involved looking at the medical records of not just a handful of participants, but tens of thousands of Israelis infected with the China virus. It's the largest real-world study ever conducted on the virus, and it found COVID survivors who developed a natural immunity were much less likely to get infected again than patients who were fully vaccinated, not only with the regular coronavirus, but with the new Delta variant as well. Fully vaccinated patients were also far likelier to develop symptoms, become hospitalized, and require serious medical treatment than patients who developed natural immunity. Scientists who reviewed the data say this is a textbook example of how natural immunity is better than vaccination. Better than vaccination. These are actual doctors saying this, researchers who study immunology for a living, not just media pundits shilling for big pharma. The conclusions of the study can be seen here in the published report. And again, I quote from their paper, this study demonstrated that natural immunity confers longer lasting and stronger protection against infection, symptomatic disease and hospitalization caused by the Delta variant compared to the two dose vaccine induced immunity. The study then adds that patients who were both previously infected and had a single dose of the vaccine gained additional protection against the Delta variant. Another analysis, this time involving over two and a half million people, found that those who were never infected and were then fully vaccinated were six to 13 times more likely to get infected than unvaccinated people who had developed natural immunity six to 13 times. The study also showed that vaccinated people were 27 times more likely to develop symptomatic COVID and eight times more likely to end up in the hospital than people who had natural immunity. The bottom line here, which is proven and backed up by exhaustive research from doctors and scientists is that our own bodies are much better at fighting viruses. They've been doing it for a million years than the leaky vaccines we just cooked up in a few months. Developing a vaccine is a great idea, but there remain serious unresolved concerns about this vaccine in particular, like all of the side effects, including death listed by the FDA itself. Doctors say we need answers to these kinds of questions before we start making vaccinations mandatory, especially since this is looking less and less like a vaccine, which by definition gives people immunity from a disease, and more and more like a therapy which treats symptoms of a disease. We were sold in this vaccine as being able to prevent us from getting sick. But after we found out that vaccinated people are just as likely, if not more likely, to spread the disease, they've moved the goalposts. And now they're insisting that it was never designed to prevent you from getting the virus. Well, that's actually the definition of a vaccine, a medication to confer immunity against a specific disease. So far, this vaccine doesn't stop you from getting the virus. It doesn't prevent you from spreading it. It doesn't keep you out of the hospital. And as we've seen in Israel, 
a majority of the severe cases are among the fully vaccinated. At best, then, this vaccine just helps mitigate the symptoms of the China virus, which if all you're doing is making the symptoms more bearable, that's really more of a therapeutic. And when we've already got proven therapeutics like hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, which has been used for decades and is so powerful and safe for humans to use, it actually won a Nobel Prize. What do we need this vaccine for? For One American News, I'm Pearson Sharp. So, you know, he posed the great question. Um, if, if the vaccinated, well, it's not if, the vaccinated can still get and spread COVID. So what are you actually doing with a vaccine passport besides segregation? That's it. That's it. That's all there is to it. It's segregating people that won't go along with the narrative. It has absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with COVID-19. Just like he said, this is a very, these so-called heavy air quotes vaccines, these gene therapies or bioweapons as I like to call them, <clears throat> are basically the worst therapeutic there is on the market right now. <laughs> if you want to get right technical, it, it, they're, they're, they're garbage. <clears throat> um, you know what? Let's just stay on the clips here. And uh, Dr. Peter McCulloch just uh, did, did, another, uh, did another interview uh, with an Australian uh, news, uh, with Australian news media. And uh, he, he basically told us that the vaccinated are actually the ones that are basically super spreading these variants or COVID-19. Dr. McCullough, thanks very much for joining us once again. Thanks for having me. The official VAERS reports are deficient, but can you tell us what trends are emerging on COVID-19 vaccine adverse events? You know, in the United States, we rely on the vaccine adverse event reporting system or VAERS in fact, the FAQs for the vaccines, as well as the consent form, point doctors and patients to look at the VAERS data. And it is a vast database. It's been around uh, for now uh, 30 years. And we know that in the United States per year, there's about 278 million shots given. That's before COVID-19. We know in the VAERS database, there's roughly 150 deaths per year that's reported, 16,000 safety reports. That's kind of the standard that we would see. Common vaccines, let's take the vaccine that our kids receive with a go to college, meningococcal vaccine, zero deaths. Well, what do we see in COVID-19 in the United States? Even at 27 million Americans vaccinated, we are already at 186 deaths. So we had already exceeded a confidence limit of security on mortality. And if, I think if we would have had a proper data safety monitoring board, critical event committee, human ethics committee, I think the program would have been shut down in February. But here we are eight months later, mm -hmm. uh, the CDC and FDA have given no press briefing on safety, no comprehensive report on safety. Americans have been stonewalled on which vaccine is performing the best, which one's performing the worst. And shockingly today, the CDC has verified over 13,000 deaths, 545,000 uh, certified safety reports, a couple hundred thousand hospitalization, urgent care visits. Uh, and, and so it's really a safety scoreboard, Mike, that's out of control. Look, there's, there's been numerous incidents of myocarditis in young males from mRNA vaccines. 
Can you explain what this is and the long-term effects are? Well, this news broke out of the U.S. military, and there were sporadic cases in Kaiser Permanente in the East Coast, West Coast, France, Israel. And uh, we understood that the genetic vaccines install the genetic material to produce the spike protein. This must be happening in the heart. And heart muscle swells expressing a foreign protein that's dangerous incites inflammation into the heart and damages the heart muscle. Circulating spike protein may add insult to injury. But the CDC and FDA reviewed about 200 cases back in June. 90% uh, of these kids, they were young people, were hospitalized with chest pain, uh, EKG changes, positive troponin. They had early signs and symptoms of heart failure in about a quarter of individuals. It looked serious by these couple hundred cases. And that was enough for the FDA to say warning. They put a warning on Pfizer, Moderna, warning myocarditis could happen, anybody under age 30. And now fast forward in the VAERS data system as of August uh, 13th, we have over 4,000 cases of myocarditis, Mike. But the official guidance is that most myocarditis and pericarditis cases linked to mRNA vaccinations, they're saying they're rare and mild. And I'm probably referring more to the uh, TGA in Australia here. Uh, it's sort of like, don't tell the truth. Well, we don't know if they're rare because not everybody is checked for it. The only way, the only way to, to consider it to be safe from an epidemiologic and what's called pharmacovigilance perspective is to say that this could be the tip of the iceberg. That's the reason why we have spontaneous re reporting. So it would be irresponsible to say they're rare because we don't check everybody for it. And since the United States, we've seen 4,000 cases, that's not rare for anything. So myocarditis actually may in fact be common. Now this next issue of whether it's serious or not, all we know is from the initial CDC FDA cases, these were kids hospitalized. It takes a lot to hospitalize uh, a young person. Like I'll tell you right now, that's not a trivial thing. So the EKG changes must have been dramatic. The troponin values concerning a potentially need for cardiac monitoring, heart failure medicine. I've seen a few patients like this in my clinic. I filled out the VAERS reports. I think it's serious, to be honest with you. I have them on heart failure medications. I'm following the cardiac troponins. It's not resolving quickly. I'm concerned some are going to progress to heart failure and have the need for uh, more heart failure medicines, potentially defibrillators, heart transplant. There's already been fatal cases in the United States and shown by autopsy. So I wouldn't say it's rare and I wouldn't say it's mild. The Pfizer vaccine has now been given full approval, inverted commas, but is this a different product that's unavailable right now? So uh, is it true that the product under emergency use is still being used? Well, the current Pfizer product, remember Pfizer and Moderna are very different. Moderna's 100 micrograms of messenger RNA per shot. That's Moderna. Pfizer is way less. Pfizer's 30 micrograms per shot. So Pfizer's a, a much smaller dose. And what we know is that, um, and I do this for uh, really my academic work. I've made presentations for the FDA. I've been on these panels. I've reviewed the briefing booklets. What should have taken place is a full briefing booklet from Pfizer, uh, and, and then the data submitted to the FDA, a full briefing booklet from the FDA, and then a presentation with an advisory panel. And there's core slides and a core set of material that's covered in front of an advisory panel to decide if the vaccine should be approved. None of that was done. We didn't see any briefing booklets made publicly available. We didn't see a product label proposed. We didn't see any integrated safety data set. We saw no consideration of the VAERS data whatsoever. What we saw was letters 
There was a letter that went to Pfizer that indicated it was a continuation of the EUA and a separate letter that went to BioNTech that was an approval letter but indicated additional studies needed to be done on myocarditis and that another meeting was going to be held on August 30th, 31st. So I can tell you this didn't look like anything like a standard FDA approval, but yet the talking point was out there that, quote, Pfizer is now fully approved. It looked like, honestly, it was a government-issued talking point without the full regulatory process being followed. The rest of the world, uh, referring to mainstream media, uh, fell for the trick there, and the government has come out and said nothing about that. So the implications or the, the belief that it's approved gives credence then that visor or the vaccines are really, really safe. Uh, and you see the government here in Australia, as with the US now, they're encouraging businesses to mandate vaccinations. So what are your thoughts on this and what are the implications? It, it does seem really antithetical. You know, Pfizer, the lowest dose of the messenger RNA vaccines, we have real world data from Israel, uh, basically having Pfizer at 39% effective. Data from Rochester, Minnesota, Mayo Clinic, Pfizer 42% effective. Uh, you know, Moderna actually at 72% effective in the Mayo data. Uh, so it looks like we have the least effective vaccine uh, giving uh, a talking point in the media about being fully approved. And how is this going to work, Mike? Because now BioNTech, who's got the approval, they'd have to really kind of formally partner up with Pfizer and they have to sell the vaccine. So they have who's going who's gonna to buy this vaccine when it looks like there's better choices? And on top of that, um, uh, the EUA products are offered free of charge, and how is Pfizer going to possibly market in this environment? It, it really looks uh, like it's completely confusing. It certainly is nothing that, that any type of employer could try to position a mandate for. Will full approval require enhanced vaccine safety reporting from Pfizer, and will indemnities be then removed? That, I don't think they are. The indemnities there are, are there no matter what, but there would be a transference of pharmacovigilance, which is very important. Right now, the CDC VAERS system is picking that up and there would be some diligence onto Pfizer. So there would have to be some evaluation of causality. So right now, uh, the manufacturers have been somewhat uh, buff buffered uh, from that. So uh, we have to see how this works out. I, I really can't see how anybody would choose Pfizer based on the efficacy data we're seeing right now. Pfizer's in free fall. In, uh, in Israel right now, 83% of all cases are fully vaccinated with Pfizer. Majority of people in the hospital, people have died, Pfizer. So Pfizer's simply not covering it. Paper by Venkata Krishnan has shown antigenic escape. The Pfizer vaccine simply can't hit the antigen on the spike protein. It can't neutralize the Delta variant. Uh, finally, in Australia, as with uh, other parts of the world, they're all coming out and saying that the best form of immunity is from the vaccine. Uh, much better, the, uh, the newspapers and uh, media are reporting, much better than natural immunity. Uh, finally, your thoughts, and please don't roll around on the floor and laugh, please. Your thoughts. Well, Australians and Americans know that once you get COVID-19, you don't get it over and over again. We haven't seen our grandparents go over and over again. If it was possible to get COVID-19 twice, we would have had millions and millions of vulnerable people hospitalized over and over again with COVID-19. So COVID-19 immunity must be nearly perfect. That is basically people don't get it a second time. We had a paper from Shretha and colleagues, the Cleveland Clinic study, 
uh, patients uh, recovered with COVID-19, 2,500 workers, go back into the workplace, zero cases of COVID-19. Mertu and colleagues uh, with less well-defined initial cases, even just positive antibodies, not clearly uh, documented cases, less than 1% uh, chance of ever getting COVID in the future, 615,000 individuals across 11 studies. Natural immunity uh, is robust, complete, and durable. And during this time period, our CDC had 10,000 vaccine failures, 10,000. We haven't had one with natural immunity, Mike. 10,000 vaccine failures with our American vaccines uh, and about 9% hospitalized, 3% died. July 26, our CDC reported 6,000 vaccine failures, hospitalized, 19% died. That's not all the cases. That's just what spontaneously forwarded to the CDC from departments of community health. So we have wide open vaccine failure and we have robust, complete, and basically bulletproof natural immunity. There's no question natural beats synthetic. You're about to roll into the uh, cooler part of the year and um, Delta is uh, on the tips of every uh, Democrat's tongue. How serious is Delta and how much are they overplaying this seriousness? Well, my views have been impressed by some of the patients I'm directly managing, Mike, and I tell you, I think that Delta is offering a new wrinkle. In a paper from Chow and colleagues from a unit at Oxford in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, they showed that in an outbreak where they locked down the workers so they couldn't get out, and they actually were testing the workers in this pre-symptomatic phase, and they all had Delta. They were all fully vaccinated with AstraZeneca, Mike, just two months earlier, so fully vaccinated young mm -hmm. healthcare workers they were carrying the virus in the pre-symptomatic phase 251 times that viral load compared to the pre-vaccination era. So vaccinated people are carrying Delta and they must be blasting the unvaccinated. And so the unvaccinated are getting big viral loads and we are seeing young people get sick. It looks like it's serious. We're having to use multiple drugs. We've had some people in the hospital, young people, and unfortunately we've lost some patients. So I've really uh, developed a respect for the Delta outbreak because the vaccinated are contributing so greatly to this most recent twist and turn of the COVID-19 pandemic. Peter McCullough, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, I mean, you guys are fully aware of who Dr. Peter McCullough is. He's, he's the most forefront um, <clears throat> doctor when it comes to uh virology in the u.s um and now he's he's telling you what you guys have already heard that the the vaccinated are carrying 251 times the the viral load of of the unvaccinated and they are basically blasting that's how kids are getting getting covid now is they have vaccinated parents that are basically blasting them with uh with the delta variant because they can they can walk around with it until it finally breaks through and then they get really sick and have the potential to die. And also, like the other, you know, the other key takeaway to, from Dr. Peter McCulloch is the fact that uh, the uh, robust immunity uh, from just natural infection is, is blowing the vaccines out of the water. So, I mean, the, the vaccine mandates that we are now being oppressed with are, are nothing more than segregation mandates. They really are. Now, what we're going to do next is we're going <clears> to <throat> move over to an open letter to Dr. Benny, uh, Bonnie Henry. Uh, this comes to us by way of the Easton Spectator. <clears throat> and it was written September 12th, uh, 2021. It doesn't give us an author on this one. Well, it's an open letter. Sorry. <laughs> it's from some doctors. Oh, boy. 
an open letter to Dr. Bonnie Henry, Adrian Dix, and Premier John Horgan. Okay, we are a group of extremely concerned health professionals in the Okanagan Valley, British Columbia, who have some critical questions regarding COVID-19, specifically about the current reporting of cases, statistics, and testing, and the restrictions imposed by your health orders. While discussing the adjunctive and alternative safe and effective uh, safe and effective treatments while discussion excuse me while discussion of a, of injunctive and alternative safe and effective treatments is being stifled the policies of mandatory experimental vaccines and vaccine passports are being forced upon our province our country and many other countries worldwide Ad- addressing dr henry dr dix and mr horgan we as healthcare pr- uh, practitioners and citizens expect and deserve answers that address these concerns directly. Proclaiming that vaccine therapies are safe and, ef- and effective is misleading and sloganistic. The reports of vaccine injuries are increasing every day, yet are being ignored. We are witnessing an increase in COVID illness occurring in fully vaccinated individuals and, irrationally, that is being followed by a promise of m- a mandated boosters. The lack of answers and the vague information being provided over the past 18 plus months does not instill confidence in British Columbians. The lack of transparency has resulted in unprecedented divisiveness among citizens, family and friends. There are individuals who are angry that some concerned citizens are not complying and are comparing our current circumstances to the Holocaust. (laughs) While this may seem extreme, the Holocaust also began with the small removal of freedoms. Just as we are seeing today, the, his- the historical atrocity started out as a slow and seemingly innocent removal of rights by government, but quickly morphed into, me- into media control, divisiveness between groups of people, and limitations to what one select section of society could do. In this way, the ordinary citizen easily became an enemy of the state. Today, a one-sided, politically driven narrative, which is being fueled by politicians and the media, is causing a similar divisiveness. When only one side of the story is being made available to the public, it is easy to understand how individuals can become disgruntled towards other citizens who are fighting to maintain their freedom and bodily autonomy. A political agenda is clearly being pushed here, and the refusal to address questions and concerns of healthcare practitioners and citizens of BC speaks volumes. We hope all BC, all of BC and Canada will carefully consider the information included in this document and join us in demanding clear, direct, and truthful answers. You must recognize and, and acknowledge the problems our country faces with our media and with our supposed leaders. We are on, da- on a dangerous trajectory and we must stop now. The media's control of information and the censorship of knowledge and experienced physicians, uh, physicians, scientists, and lawyers are preventing access to the two sides of the story. The introduction of fact uh, fact checkers who are wholly owned by big tech, big pharma, and big media being paid to censor anyone who does not support the government narrative. The tools of intimidation, coercion, and bribery bribery are being used to divide our society. And all of this is happening right in front of us. Obviously, this type of behavior is not a reflection of good people with good ideas. To the contrary, it is criminal activity. Groups of doctors are forming international networks to investigate public health measures and raise questions and concerns. We call on all Canadians to join the rapidly growing movement of ordinary citizens who are standing up against tyranny and violation of our human rights and freedoms. 
Please answer the 12 questions below directly, clearly, and truthfully with references to data from scientific research on which you are basing your decisions and policies. Number one, death perspective. There are currently zero deaths from COVID-19 for ages 12 to 19 in BC and 12 deaths in all children aged 0 to 19 in all of Canada. Question, why are you aggressively pressuring 12 through 19 year old children to get the experimental COVID-19 vaccine when no deaths have occurred in this age group due to COVID-19 in BC to date, according to the BC Centre for Disease Control? Background, in general, we have observed extremely low mortality in BC and across Canada from COVID-19. As identified in the preceding link, only two COVID-19 related deaths have occurred in the past 18 months in the 0 to 11 age range in BC. No deaths have occurred in the age range of 12 through 19 in these, ch in these ch childhood deaths. The influence of comorbidities was not revealed. On the BCCDC website, the situation report listed in the footnotes, these statistics can be viewed on page 9. With only two deaths occurring in the 1 million children and adolescents aged 0 to 19 that reside in BC, why are we being, why are we even considering mandating vac vaccinations, masks, isolations, and restrictions at school? BC has a population of 5.17 million people as of August 21st, 2021. There have been a total of 1,804 deaths due to or related to COVID-19. These deaths occurred over the span of 18 plus months dealing with COVID-19 in our province. Further calculation demonstrates that this represents 0.023% uh, COVID-19 yearly mortality rate for our entire BC population. Does an annual 0.023 risk of death heavily skewed towards the elderly with comorbidities justify a mandatory vaccine policy and a vaccine passport? Moreover, in the age range of 0 to 59, we, there have been 127 deaths related to or from COVID-19 in the entirety of BC across an 18-plus month duration. Why is this information not being openly shared? Does this data not represent a very different reality than we are being led to believe in the media and in your press conferences? <clears throat> The total number of people that government uh, that the government of Canada says died with COVID-19, not necessarily from COVID-19, since the beginning of the pandemic, is 26,873 as of September 3rd, 2021. You can view these numbers directly on the Government of Canada InfoBase website using the link in the footnote. You will find the breakdown of the 26,873 of total COVID-19 deaths by age group in Canada. To see, which of the, to see these numbers here, we will show them both in BC and Canada total deaths. We will show both the BC and Canada total deaths. Said, with, said to be with COVID-19, broken down by age and the percentage of those deaths by age over the past 18 plus months. Uh, zero age, uh, age 0 to 19 in BC, 2, uh, 12 in Canada. Ages 20 to 29, 0 in BC, 68 in Canada. Ages 30 to 39, 2 in BC, 152 in Canada. Ages 40 to 49, 16 in BC, 354 in Canada. Ages 59, or 50 to 59, 30 in BC, 1,033 in Canada. Ages 60 to 69, 77 in BC, and 2,620 in Canada. 
ages 70 to 79, 178 in BC, 5,747 in Canada, age 80 plus, 1,117 in BC, and 17,160 in Canada. Uh, total deaths is 1,804 in BC and 26,872 in Canada. The total population in BC is 5,145,851, and in Canada it's uh, 38,067,903. It should surprise all Canadians that there has been a total of 12 children between the ages of 0 and 19 across the entire, na in ni in, excuse me, entire nation that have died with, not necessarily from, COVID-19 in the last 18 plus months. Comorbidities have not been made public. With this data, it is reasonable to ask why the government seeks to vaccinate all children to protect them. It's obvious they do not need protection. If we compare the numbers of 0 to 19 year olds in Canada who typically die from influenza each year, the public health pressure on children to get vaccinated becomes even more troubling. The only breakdown shown for pediatrics assuming age 0 to 16 in Canada shows that 10 children died of the flu in 2018 over a 12 month period. Data for deaths of children from the flu between the ages of 0, and 0 to 19 was not shown, which makes it difficult to precisely compare uh, but the figures are still telling. According to the government of Canada, 10 children 0 to 16 years old died from the flu in 12 months versus 12 children who died from COVID-19 over the last 18 plus months. Proportionally, proportionately, 8 children per 12 months. This means that COVID-19 is less dangerous than the flu for this age group. Why then is the government pressuring children to get vaccinated? Given 84.3% of all people who are said to have died with COVID-19 are age 70 and over, and 94% of all people who are said to have died with COVID-19 are age 60 and over, how do you justify applying public health restrictions on the rest of the population? Number two, PCR testing, invalid tests used to create fear based on a 90% plus false positives. Question, why are we still using uh, polymarinase chain reaction tests to detect COVID-19 cases in BC. The World Health Organization originally stated that PCR tests were the gold standard for COVID-19 testing, recommending it as the universal test as of March 21st, 2020. Now the WHO admits that scientists have been saying since the beginning of the pandemic that the PCR test is not an accurate diagnostic tool and is in fact recommended, uh, recommending a completely different testing protocol. Also, the U.S. Center for Disease Control has said it will ask the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to withdraw its emergency use authorization of the PCR test as of December 31st, uh, 2021. The entire pandemic and associated restrictions are based upon numbers of cases. However, the number of cases is based upon a positive PCR test result. These PCR tests are falsely inflating the case numbers of people who are sick with COVID-19. This creates fear and misleading statistics. It is important to note that the inventor of the PCR test, Kerry Mullis, stated many times that PCR tests cannot be used to detect viruses. It is now admitted that the PCR test cannot tell the difference between a common cold, the flu, or any virus or variant. Also, the PCR cannot differentiate between live and dead matter, meaning whether someone is infectious or not. Additionally, former Pfizer Vice President and Chief Science Officer Dr. Michael Yeadon announced this is nothing but fear-mongering based on junk science and fraud. He too claims that almost all of the tests being conducted for the Wuhan coronavirus are false positives, a phenomenon that has been observed in Florida and around the world. 
yet we still continue to use PCR tests to manufacture fear and compliance. Since speaking out, Dr. Geden has been censored and smeared in order to prevent distribution of and discredit the critical information he is sharing. He has risked his reputation, career, and his life to share this information. Dr. Yeadon has joined forces with a group of 160 doctors who are in agreement with issues of regarding COVID-19, the COVID-19 narrative. Why would these highly credentialed uh, professionals willingly put themselves in this position, where there is so much to lose and nothing to gain, other than trying to save people from harm? Okay, um, we are going to run over the hour a little bit here, my friends, but we're going to stay on this because uh, there's just these questions are just so good. Uh, number three, cases, an overused term and count that means nothing in the actual diagnosis of, of disease question. What actually constitutes a legitimate COVID-19 case? Background, you state a case is confirmed based on a positive PCR test. However, as, as question two, as per question two, we know that these tests are shown to be inaccurate, 90% false, uh, false positives. Moreover, cycling of PCR tests, often in excess of 30 plus amplifications, is being used incorrectly for the detection of the virus. With, this no- with the knowledge of these inflated false positives, we absolutely should not be counting these as cases. Spread. Vaccinated individuals spread COVID-19 just as much or more than unvaccinated individuals. Question. What science or information are you relying upon when you say in your health orders that unvaccinated individuals are at higher risk than vaccinated persons of being infected with and transmitting COVID-19? Or that the presence of an unvaccinated staff member constitutes a health hazard under the Public Health Act? Background. Several studies as well as CDC data demonstrate evidence that vaccinated persons have high potential to spread the COVID-19 Delta variant uh, 251 times. <laughs> it has been well documented that documented that vaccinated people can and do spread the virus. A recently published medical study found that in- infection from COVID-19 confers considerably, lo- considerably longer lasting and stronger protection against the, co- the, the Delta variant than the current vaccines do. Vaccinated individuals were found to be 27 times more likely to experience a symptomatic COVID-19 infection than those with natural immunity from COVID-19. Why are we discriminating discriminating against unvaccinated people when the spread is clearly happening also amongst vaccinated individuals? Furthermore, those that have had natural COVID-19 infection have been proven to have longer term and more robust protection compared to those with the vaccine. Variants question what source are you looking at when you declare that the variants are being caused by unvaccinated individuals dr byron w bridal professor uh, professor of virology uh, viral immuno, immune, immunology at the university of guelph explains that similarly to antibiotic resistance covid19 variants are caused by not fully killing the virus allowing for mutation Therefore, only individuals who are vaccinated can be, crea- can be creating the variants. As with any variant, as the CDC and WHO also state, mu- um, mutations lead to a weaker and more transmittable viral strain. That is why the Delta will not have the same potential for causing deaths as the original COVID-19 strain, as evidenced by Dr. Bridal. The continual application of COVID-19 vaccinations and furthermore boosters will will exacerbate the development of more variants. Finally, there is no current evidence that suggests that unvaccinated individuals are causing the uh, rise in cases. 
Number six, vaccine effectiveness. Question, why is the inflated relative risk reduction of 94, uh, 94% utilized in reporting of vaccine effectiveness instead of the absolute risk reduction of less than uh, 1%? <clears throat> uh, we covered this in, uh, quite a few shows ago, my friends. So it's nice to see that these doctors are, are asking, asking uh, the BC Health uh, Authority this. What information are you relying upon when you say vaccines prevent or reduce the risk of infection of, with COVID-19? Uh, background. Promoting the triple uh, R instead of the ARR misleads the general population, exacerbating the non-factual concept that these vaccines prevent getting and spreading COVID-19. The National Library of Medicine website links uh, below states the absence of the ARR in COVID-19 trials can lead to outcome reporting bias that affects the interpretation. Number seven, vaccine safety and injury stats. <clears throat> Question, where is the transparency for the current statistics and details regarding counts of BC vaccine-related injuries and deaths? Adverse reaction statistics and data is imperative to ensure that British Columbians can exercise their constitutional right to free and voluntary informed consent. This information should be pre uh, presented daily along with the COVID-19 case numbers so people can decide whether they want to freely accept the experimental vaccinations. The Government of Canada Vaccine Injury website states that of that uh, states as of September 3rd, 2021, that 14,101 adverse reactions have been reported. Of those 14,101 reports of adverse reactions, there are currently 3,768 reported as serious. Serious adverse reactions including death. However, death counts are not separately recorded on this database. Why is there a lack of transparent transparency? Specifically on September 3rd, a report quietly released by Public Health Ontario reported that 106 youth under the age of 25 were hospitalized with heart inflammation following mRNA vaccination. These vaccine injuries and deaths are not just in Canada, but all over the world. The EU vaccine injury, 1.9 million vaccine deaths is 20,595. US vaccine injury reported in VAERS is 650,000. 75 and vaccine deaths is 13,911. Staggering numbers, my friends. Passports. Question. You have recently stated that the vaccine passports will be temporary, expiring at the end of January 2022. However, with $1 billion being offered as an incentive by the Government of Canada for provinces who implement this system, it is hard to imagine this system will be scrapped by January 31st, 2022, after only five months of its use. It is difficult to rely on your, on your statement given what you said on May 25th, 2021 on television. There is no way that we will recommend inequities by, inc uh, by increased, uh, excuse me, there is no way that we will recommend inequities be increased by the use of things like vaccine passports for services for public access here in British Columbia. And that's my advice. Uh, and I've got this uh, got support from the premier and I've talked about this with Mr. Dix and others. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made similar comments on, to Canadians on January 14th, 2021. Treatments. Question. Why are we not using the approved and well-researched antivirals like FDA approved ivermectin? Why are we providing no outpatient treatment for at-home use when other doctors in many countries are successfully doing so? Uh, what are we at here? 105. Doctors 
are avoiding are avoiding or being prohibited from prescribing pharmaceuticals that are known to help with COVID-19 symptoms that are safe, such as ivermectin. The negative spin being put on ivermectin by mainstream media that it is only used in horses is not true. These statements being made about ivermectin are malicious and false as it has been safely and effectively used for years in humans. In 2000, oh yeah, we know all the history of ivermectin, so we're just going to scroll down. Number 10, definition and counts of the vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Question, why have you made the definition of vaccinated and unvaccinated in your public health order so misleading and contrary to common understanding? Why do you use different definitions of what it means to be vaccinated in your different health orders that are still in effect? In your August 20th, 2021 provincial health order, which has already gone missing from the BC government website, you define vaccinated as an individual who is 14 days post receipt of the full series of a WHO approved vaccine or combination of approved WHO vaccines. This means that anyone who is sick or hospitalized with COVID-19 within 13 days of their second shot is considered unvaccinated. This is just like people who have had one shot are counted in the statistics that you put forth. These definitions are very misleading and help promote the false narrative that the unvaccinated are driving the upward trend of cases. Number 11, testing only unvaccinated individuals. Question, in your public health order dated August 20th, 2021, and now August 31st, 2021, and September 2nd, 2021, you are only requiring unvaccinated individuals to undergo rapid antigen testing and PCR testing. In light of the evidence and scientific research showing that vaccinated individuals are significantly more likely to contract the Delta variant than the unvaccinated individuals. You also say in your September 2nd, 2021 health order that you will not allow any staff member to be hired after October 11th, 2021, unless they meet your definition of vaccinated. What science are you relying on to justify this policy of testing and discrimination against unvaccinated individuals? You continue to state that you are following the science. However, you have not, you have yet to provide any reference to the science you are following despite being asked for this information numerous times over the last 18 plus months. We demand that you be transparent and honest with the public you serve by posting the scientific studies and data you are relying upon to support your policies and health orders on the BC government website along with your public health orders so we can review this information. Okay, we're going to just scroll down. There is a lot. Uh... Oh, no, just one more question. Sorry. One more question about masks. Number 12, masks. Under oath, Dr. Bonnie Henry admitted that there is scant evidence that masks are effective at preventing the spread of influenza virus, but felt that it can be effective, an effective coercive tool when staff refuse to accept a vaccine. Question. Where there is evidence... Where is the evidence that your mask mandates in your health orders actually work? You define face coverings in your September 2nd, 2021 health order as including a medical mask or non-medical mask or tightly woven fabric, but does not include a clear plastic face shield. Where is the evidence that non-medical masks or a piece of tightly woven fabric is an effective means of preventing the spread of a virus? Dr. Henry's testimony under oath in 2015 in an arbitration hearing in Ontario as an expert witness for the uh, Salt Area or Salt Area Hospital and the Ontario Hospital Association 
against the Ontario Nurses Association is informative. The issue in that arbitration was that the hospital required healthcare workers to wear surgical procedure masks each year throughout the five to six month flu season if they had not received the vaccination for influ influenza. The nurses union alleged that the policy was unreasonable, an unreasonable exercise of management management rights and a breach of employee privacy acts. At the time that Dr. Henry advocated in favor of the policy, she was the de deputy provincial health officer for British Columbia. Dr. Henry's testimony in the arbitration hearing is eerily similar to the narrative she has been telling British Columbians about COVID, the COVID-19 virus. Dr. Henry was str a strong proponent that there was a was asymptomatic spread that the unvaccinated nurses and healthcare workers should wear masks and support mandating forcing the employees to wear masks as, as a consequence of choosing not to get the vaccine. On cross-examination, Dr. Henry reluctantly admitted that there was not a lot of evidence to support the suggestion that asymptomatic shedding actually leads to effective transmission of the virus. At paragraph 178 of the arbitration, uh, arbitration decision, the arbiter notes that Dr. Henry concluded after admitting, I am not a huge fan of the masking piece, that there is not a lot of evidence to support mask use. <laughs> so she's busted. She's already, uh, she's already busted. Uh, sincerely, voices of silenced Okanagan health professionals. So they didn't name themselves, uh, but... <clears throat> It doesn't matter. It's still very, very... The, all these questions are extremely relevant, and these are the questions being asked in lawsuits as well, as well as they want um, evidence. Um, you know, we're still waiting for any form of uh, Can Canadian authority to produce a um, isolated, purified sample of COVID-19 taken from an infected patient or deceased patient. Yet to be seen anywhere around the world. There's still a $1.2 million reward for that, actually, my friends. <laughs> so... Uh, very good, very good stuff. Uh, as you can tell, I like covering the pushback that we were seeing from doctors and lawyers, and and I really like to to see how they're they're pushing against this information. What what we know now, and it, it's just it's clear as day for all of us that are just sitting on the sidelines, uh, not partaking in in the narrative, that uh, every part of the COVID nineteen narrative is smoke and mirrors. the The entire story is smoke and mirrors. They are ushering in uh, blatant fascism through a flawed smoke and mirror uh <laughs> program uh, just keeping people distracted do not look at the numbers hiding blatantly hiding the evidence uh it's just it's every dirty trick in the book my friends so yeah um you know it is my honest opinion that we just have to we just have to basically wait <laughs> because you're going to see the same numbers that are happening in israel and now mongolia mongolia has a 60 percent uh, vaccination rate and they're uh their cases are skyrocketing. The same thing's going to happen here. It's just a matter of time. And I think that's why the push is so hard right now uh, to get as many people vaccinated as they possibly can. Uh, these mandates are going to fall apart. There's just too much evidence against them. Um, you know, it, it, it is, is my honest opinion. They will push them through. Uh, you're going to see the passports and all this stuff happen. Unfortunately for them, the narrative has completely fallen apart. We know that the vaccinated can get and spread COVID. The problem is the the, the a lot of the people that never suffered adverse effects or don't know anybody, the people that are still uh, basically eating up the narrative, uh, seem to be on board with the vaccine passports, and that's troubling because they don't they don't even seem to remember history. Um, you know, the Star of David that the uh, 
uh, German Jews were forced to wear. It's it's basically the same thing, you know. You had to have papers to get in and out of specific areas within Germany, uh, into cities, uh, down any roads. Uh, they had patrols. It's it's it could potentially go get that bad. And if it does, I mean, it's just it's something to witness. It's something to be alive right now and 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 uh, you know witness the world going through this. Um, but I you know as you guys know, I remain positive. Like I said, the narrative is falling apart quicker than they could put it together. Uh, it is quite common knowledge, even among the vaccinated, that they still can get and spread COVID. And it's going to be very common knowledge in Canada when the weather starts getting even colder. And they get and more and more and more of them. And we start seeing the mimic numbers of Israel happen here. So you will, it is my sincere hope that you will see the vaccinated join our voices and saying, you know, these vaccine, you know, these vaccine passports are nothing but just a, a, an introduction to fascism. And we're not down with it. Now we'll see how this election goes. Um <clears throat> I did have an article about uh, basically the PPC rising in popularity, but we didn't have enough time to get to it. I wanted to cover this one uh, from the BC doctors because it was clearly the most important. But um, we'll see what happens with this election. You guys know that I'm I'm not holding my breath because I am fully aware that Dominion is lurking in the background. Uh, I'm kind of targeting Toronto uh, because we did see them active last year in Toronto. So... We'll see how this plays out. Um, I think with uh, what's happening to Trudeau on the tr on the election trail, I think you're going to have a hard time fooling Canadians that he's uh, popular, that he would get a uh, a majority. I just don't think many people are going to believe it. You're seeing a mass exodus from all the parties over to the PPC or alternative, um, basically parties that are actually standing up for freedom. PPC just being in the forefront. Um, so you're, you're not just seeing the people uh, turning against the conservatives. You're seeing people uh, exit the Liberal Party, the Bloc, um, the Greens, and the NDP for, for the only party that has a, uh, you know, a federal stage that is actively speaking out against uh, all this tyranny that we are seeing. Anyway, my friends, we better shut this one down. We are running over the hour here. So if you want to get, if you want to reach out to me and, um, you know, share any information on the topics that we discussed tonight, feel free. You can find me on Facebook um, at Canadian Patriot Radio. Use the message, message button to talk to me directly. Um, if you prefer email, it's CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. And you can also, there's a lot of, there's a lot of you that are starting to now join the Telegram room, which is great. Um, feel free, everybody that's joining the Telegram room to share whatever you want. We aren't just limited to COVID talks and everything in there. We, we explore every avenue on the Telegram, in the Telegram room. Uh, you can go anything from Bigfoot to UFOs or whatever you want. <laughs> the sky's the limit or beyond in the Telegram room. So feel free to look up that page. It's t.me backslash Canadian Patriot Radio. And if none of those are the way you want to go, then find us on the website at CanadianPatriotRadio.ca. Thank you so much, my friends, for tuning in again. And until next time, in all thy sons, command. for joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, 
Take care.